The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? I bet that's probably the most y'all's been said in the first three seconds of just about any sermon we've had around here. So if I haven't met you yet, my name is Chris Revel, as Matt said. I'm the director of family ministries here at Story City Church. Um, if you don't recognize me, I'm the guy that's been on stage with a cowboy hat the last couple weeks, um, and I'm the guy that's normally standing in the corner over here yelling at all the kids that are coming up and goofing off. So if there's ever any commotion, that's most likely my fault. Um, but before we get started this morning, I'd like to jump and just uh, have a word of prayer uh, for us before we get going. Dear Lord, I thank you for just how incredible you are, Lord. I thank you that you're faithful, that you're gracious, Lord. I thank you for just the privilege of being able to worship you freely. Um, and I pray that we don't ever take that for granted, Lord. I pray that you would just speak through me this morning, Lord. I pray that we would hear what you have to say, Lord, and not what I have to say. Lord, I thank you for how incredibly just gracious and perfect you are. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so this is my second time preaching up here, and I have to say, and I, it's one of the things that wearing this mic makes me feel so much cooler than I really am. There's just something about it. Like, I see Matt and Tyler wear it, and it's like, man, like, you put it on in the back, and it's like, wow, all right. I feel like I'm, I'm legit when I walk out here. Um, but I don't know about you, but I'm extremely excited to worship the Father with you this morning. Um, I hope everybody's awake and ready to go. If you haven't had your caffeine, you may want to go ahead, get a cup of coffee real quick, um, because we're going to be going through the story of Abraham, Joseph, Moses, a little bit of David, a little bit of Solomon. It's an easy 78 verses that we're going to cover in about 25 minutes. And the funny part, there's some of y'all that are looking at me right now that are like, is he being serious? Like, are we really going through 78 verses? And the answer is yes, we are going to go through 78 <laughs> verses. But all joking aside, I am very humbled to be up here in front of you to have this privilege to speak the truth of God's living word to you this morning. So when you're growing up, did you have anybody that you looked up to? Did you have a hero or somebody that you aspired to be? Say, for me, you'll see it on the screen, it was my dad, right? That was the guy that I looked up to more than anything. I wanted to be just like him and I wanted to be better. If there was something that he was doing, I wanted to go out there and do it. When he was working on our shed or building something, I was right by his side the whole time. For you, it could be mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. It might be a brother or a sister. Maybe for some of you, it's a sports star, right? Somebody that you've seen on TV that like plays the sport that you love. Or maybe it's an actor or an actress. Today, we have a lot of kids that look up to the Marvel, right? Superheroes. And I went ahead and we put another one in there for DC as well. I don't want anybody <laughs> to feel left out. Right, but these are some of the heroes that the kids and just people in our culture today look up to. For others, it may be somebody in the military, right? Or, oh, totally forgot. For some of the uh, non-really young folks, I wanted to make sure that I threw in an 80s hero in there for you before we kept going. I didn't want anybody to feel left out. Um, but 
the last one is maybe it was somebody in the military, right? Maybe you know somebody that has served in the military or does serve in the military, and that's who you look up to. But my question for you this morning is why do we look up to those people? Why do we aspire to be like them? Why do we want to have character traits that they have? Maybe it's the fact that their character just in and of itself is just something that you're like, wow. Maybe it's their loyalty or their courage. Maybe it's their intelligence or their performance. Maybe it's their strength during a certain time period or a certain situation in life. Maybe it's their story. The fact that they've come from nothing and now they have this incredible platform that they're using to do amazing things. If you Google the number one trait for a hero, the first thing that pops up is somebody who is willing to sacrifice themselves for another. In today's culture, whether we want to admit it or not, we really struggle with our identity, who we are. We look around at all these other people and we see how they're doing things and we want to be able to do them just like they do. We have these heroes that portray certain characteristics and situations that are, man, if I could just be like that, then I'd be better. With social media, that takes it to a totally different level. I get to see that with student ministry and kids ministry. You see social media and the fact that these kids are looking up to these people on social media. And the question is, man, is that really who they should be looking up to? I want to start off this morning by telling you that each one of you were made uniquely with specific gifts, character traits, and ideas, etc. You don't need to try to be somebody else. God did not create you to be somebody else. We as the body of Christ and our society today need you to be the person that God created you to be. That person is amazing. Right? You were created in the image of God. There's no reason to try to be somebody else. We see in Philippians 3, 10 through 14, that we as Christians are to strive to be more like Christ every day. If you've grown up going to church, or this is your first time here, I guarantee you've heard that at least once from somebody that you know, or maybe just from being around church, you've heard that. We often hear it and it's just in one ear and it's out the other. The passage that we're going to jump into this morning is one of my favorites, right? It's the story of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr, right? And though we don't know every single thing about Stephen, from the two chapters in Acts that we're going to look at today, he was a man who was Christ-like. And it wasn't luck. It wasn't by accident or chance that he was this way, that he portrayed these characteristics. So I want to challenge you this morning to look at your life and to see if these are characteristics that you see. Would your friends and the people that you were closer to, your family members, would they describe you in this way? Everybody ready to jump into these 78 verses? I will say, if you could see some of your faces when I said that earlier, it was priceless. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, I'm going to give us some background of these two chapters, and then we're going to dig in a little deeper after. So here we go. All right, so Stephen comes into the picture in chapter 6 of Acts. The disciples are increasing in numbers, and a group of Hellenists, these are Jews in Jerusalem, 
who spoke Greek as their primary language, began to complain that their widows were being neglected and rejected. Right? The disciples get together in verse 2. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who, will appoint, or who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We see right away that the growth that is happening here is causing a couple issues, right? We need more leaders to step up and to step into roles that the disciples can no longer fill. We also notice that prayer and preaching is paramount. We have got to focus on that. It's not something that we can just push aside and pick up later. The disciples knew that they needed to stay committed to what the Lord had called them to do. So the first man that they mention of the seven is Stephen, who's described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about y'all, but when's the last time you've heard maybe a friend or somebody described in that way? I, I don't hardly ever hear it, but I would say that if somebody described me that way, man, that, I mean, what, what a way to be described. But the thing is, they're not done. In verse eight, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. We then see that a group that belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen and the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and the Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. If you haven't noticed already that the character traits that we see and Stephen here are very much what we see in Jesus and the Gospels. It's, it's what we see constantly. Verse 11 through 15 go on to say that these people instigated against Stephen and said that he was blaspheming against Moses and God. They stirred up more people and they ended up bringing Stephen before the high priest in the beginning of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the longest speech or sermon that's recorded in Acts. And I'm not going to read every single verse of chapter 7. I promise for the sake of time. All right? But I am going to do my best to give you the main theme and points that Stephen really hits on here. So let's keep in mind that who Stephen has been brought before here, they're no stranger to the Old Testament. Right? They know. Anything that he could say, they probably know it and could quote it verse for verse for him. Right? But the high priest asked Stephen if these accusations are so. And Stephen does not answer the charges against him specifically, but he goes all the way back to the beginning of Israel's history. And I don't, I don't know about y'all, but if somebody's accusing me of something, most of the time I get pretty defensive right off the bat. And I'm definitely not going back to my family's history to answer a question. Like that's, that's just not gonna happen. And for me, being from the South, my family's huge, and that would probably take more than these 58 verses here, right? He goes all the way back to Abraham and how God told him to go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. God makes a covenant with Abraham. Stephen then jumps to Joseph and tells how his brothers sold him into slavery, but God was with Joseph, Joseph verse 10, and rescued him out of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh. He then gets to Moses and how he used Moses by the, and how Moses was used by the Lord and the fact 
that the Lord was with Moses every step of the way. Then Stephen briefly hits on David. David found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in the houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen goes on in the next few verses to tell us that they resist the Holy Spirit just like their fathers did, right? They killed those who came before and announced the coming of the righteous one. And they themselves are the ones that betrayed and killed Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but that's normally not a way that I would probably end a speech or sermon, just going, hey guys, this is, this is what it is. This is the truth. This is what you did. One of the most amazing things for me, looking back at this, as Stephen goes through the Old Testament, is to see God's faithfulness, no matter who it's with, right? He did, there's, there's no question whether God is faithful or not. He is faithful every step of the way. You may look back at the passage and ask, why, why would Stephen go through this old history and the history of Israel? A commentary I read on this passage summed it up better than I could put into words myself. It said this, God appeared, God spoke, God sent, God promised, God punished, God rescued. God is working out his sovereign will all over the earth. He is most certainly not confined to a temple or a building. I'll read that one more time. God appeared, God spoke, God sent, God promised, God punished, God rescued. God is working out his sovereign will all over the earth. He is most certainly not confined to a temple or a building. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that our God is sovereign, that he is not tied to some building or temple or place that we meet. Verse 54, we see that Stephen finishes his speech and the people are enraged. Verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen goes on to say what he saw and that enraged the mob even further. They end up casting him out of the city and stoning him. But who was there while this is happening? Verse 58, and the witnesses laid down their, or laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse one of chapter eight goes on to say that Saul, who becomes Paul, approved of this execution. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And verse 55 there, with there's a lot of theologians and scholars that debate why, well, why is Jesus standing at the right hand of God? Right? There's no exact understanding of what that might be, but some theologians would say that maybe it's Jesus standing, being ready to welcome the first martyr into his kingdom. I like to think in that way. It reminds me of Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
when we're reading through this, are you seeing the similarities and the characteristics of Christ in Stephen's life? It's very easy for us to get caught up in the day-to-day activities of life and to lose sight of what really matters. We hear verses like Philippians 3 and the like that are telling us to strive to be more like Christ. But the reality is, that's not easy. It's not easy to go day and day and to strive to be more like Christ. I I stand before you this morning humbled to be up here and to say that it, it is a battle every single day. There are so many things that want our attention and our time. So many things that we want to be a part of, but we, if we are not careful in prioritizing what truly matters, we'll begin to try to fill a void that was only meant to be filled by our relationship with the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. When we look back at these two chapters, there are a couple things that we can look at at Stephen's life that I think that we can apply to our lives today. The first one is that Stephen was prepared. It's no accident that Stephen is known as being full of the faith and of the Holy Spirit, that he is full of grace and power and he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. I want to be very clear that it is not Stephen who is powerful and doing all these wonderful things that everybody's seeing. It's the Holy Spirit that is working through Stephen. Maybe some of you have experienced this before where or either you know somebody that, man, I want to have a deeper walk with the Lord. I want to have that intimacy. You hear your friends talk about it and how they have this just deep relationship with the Lord that every day it's like, man, that sounds incredible. But you can't see, it just doesn't seem to click for you. Maybe you sit down and you get into a devotion and you're like, man, you don't understand the text or the context of what you're reading. So you're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm just going to be done, and you put it away. Or maybe you sit down for a time of prayer, and you can't seem to focus or clear your head and just be still. So you just finish it up real quick, and you go on with your day. If you want to have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to take work. Stephen did not get to where he was at this point without having a deep personal intimacy and relationship with the Father. A word that comes up constantly in scripture is perseverance, doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. One of the great promises that we can hold to is in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you read that verse, is that something that brings you comfort and peace? The fact that you can draw near to the creator of the universe and he will draw near to you. That's not just a regular sentence, that is a promise. He desires to have that relationship with you. If we as believers wanna grow in our faith and have a deeper, more intimate walk with the Father, we have to prioritize what is important. If your relationship with the Lord is important to you, you will make time for it. If you wanna be better prepared For, as Tyler said two weeks ago, the three categories where opposition comes into our life, the world, the flesh, and the devil, go to the word of God and pursue Jesus. You want to be prepared? That's how to do it. It's right here. There's no other place that you need to go for answers. Every answer you need is right in this book. 
Secondly, we see that Stephen embraced fully what it meant to be a Christian or what it means to be a Christian. Stephen was not a lead pastor. He wasn't on staff at a church. Stephen was experiencing exactly what Jesus had already said in Luke 21, 12 through 18. Jesus said, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be our opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up by even parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. We see in verse 15 right there that it speaks directly into Acts 6.10. The fact that when Stephen spoke with the spirit in which he spoke, nobody, there was no opposition. Nobody could contradict what he was saying. Stephen understood the totality of what it means to be a Christian. See, the Jews who brought Stephen before the high priest misplaced their devotion. Their devotion was to a house of worship and not to God. Stephen understood that the Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts of the men and women in the body of believers, which is the true church. Stephen never turns away from what he believes, and he stands firm in the fact that he believes in Jesus Christ. Stephen, the third thing is that Stephen had and he communicated with a spirit of love. When he's giving his speech, he could have very easily torn them down because they didn't understand what he was saying or they didn't really understand the focus here. But what does Stephen do? Stephen understand that they just did not, they didn't get it. And instead of defending himself, he spoke truth and love just like Jesus did. I personally cannot read the last few verses of chapter seven and Stephen's response and not pause and think about the gravity of what he says. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is while he's being stoned to death. Who, who does that sound exactly like? I, I, I cannot say that, and I hope that I would, if that is happening to me, that that is, my, that is what my thought and my heart says. Because I'm probably going to be upset. I'm gonna be, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. But Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Without an intimate relationship with the Father, there is no way that Stephen says that. He's showing love just like Jesus did. Stephen was not a superhero like we think of today, right? But he did reflect the characteristics of the greatest hero to ever walk the face of the earth. Stephen was faithful. He was full of grace and power. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he communicated with the spirit of love with the people who ended up killing him. These are traits that are not found and developed without Jesus. These are not traits that we're just going to have in our lives and that people are going to be able to see without that relationship. The last thing I have is that Stephen's life and his faithfulness was not overlooked. 
the young man who stood approving of his execution, Saul, who goes on to be, or who goes on to be Paul, who most people would say is the greatest missionary ever, wrote over half the New Testament. He didn't forget that moment. We see later in Acts, in Acts 17, that Paul delivers a similar message to exactly what Stephen is saying in Acts 7. He goes on later in Acts 22:20 to again mention Stephen. Why would he do that unless there was something there that made an impact on his life? The fact that Stephen stood up for what he believed in and the fact that he did not waver. And in the midst of just great persecution, there was love and forgiveness. It never ceases to amaze me when I read or hear stories of God using ordinary people to do amazing things for the glory of his kingdom. You may have a huge platform or you might not. It it doesn't matter either way. Each person in here, no matter what you do, where you come from, what your past was, God can use you in amazing ways. Each one of us is uniquely made and gifted. Be who God created you to be. Being Christ-like does not happen by accident. It's not luck or chance that that happens. You're not gonna wake up tomorrow and go, you know what? I think I'm gonna be kind, loving, and faithful from now on. That's just not gonna happen. It takes work, it takes time, and it takes consistency. Persevere through the smooth and the hard times, knowing that Jesus is right by your side every step of the way. You never know who could be watching you or how you deal with a certain situation or experience, how you treat someone or how you're loving those around you. You could be somebody's hero or maybe you already are. I challenge you this morning to look at your life and your walk with the Lord and to know that somebody is watching you and what a great example that you can set for them than to be Christ-like so that by them wanting to become more like you, they're actually trying to become more like the Father and they don't even know it yet. The fact that the Father loves them more than they could ever imagine. And you have that opportunity because you don't know who is watching. One of the coolest things in being in just kids and youth ministry is the fact that you get to see all the little thing that these kids pick up on. You would be shocked at every little thing that they pick up on. It's unbelievable. I mean, little kids. I can't, I can't go by anymore without seeing Tyler's youngest, Adeline, call me cowboy now. I wore a, I wore a cowboy hat for like a couple weeks and I've known her for a lot longer than that, but that is what she remembers. That, that, hey, he wore a cowboy hat one day of the week. You never know who is watching. So why not, why not give them something and somebody to aspire to be, to be more like Christ? It doesn't need to be anybody here on earth. We want them to become more like Jesus. We personally need to strive to become more like Jesus every day. And it is a battle. But you know you're not alone. We are a family. We are a body of Christ. So if you're hearing this for the first time, you're hearing some of the things we're talking about with Stephen and how he would lay down his life for what he believed in.
Maybe you wanna know more about it. Please come talk to me, Tyler, Matt. Go to the First Steps table. We would love to have a conversation with you to tell you about how much God loves you. Prepping for this message was extremely convicting. Just to know that, man, am, am I striving to be more like Christ every single day? Or am I okay with, you know what? Uh, I'm a little busy today. I can get caught up in the things that are going on in my life. Or is it really that important? Because if it is, I'm gonna make time for it. There's gonna be battles that come. And unless you're in the word of God, there are times that you're gonna be faced with things that you don't know how to deal with, right? Look to his word first and foremost, pursue him and you will be shocked at the radical change that happens in your life. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for just how incredible you are. I thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy. Lord, I thank you that you can use just ordinary people to accomplish great things for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that each person in here, Lord, I pray that if they do not know you, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you, to know that personal relationship with you and what, what that means, what that entails, the fact that it's a love that they have never known. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful and I pray that we would glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that our lives would point to you and that we would point others to you. Lord, I'm thankful that we get to worship you freely. Lord, I pray that we don't ever take that for granted. Lord, the fact that you can use persecution like Stephen and you can use it as a catalyst to do incredible things. Lord, you are the redeemer, the creator, the savior, the healer. And Lord, I pray that we would just seek to glorify you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.